Welcome to Clit Talk, the pleasure positive podcast. We are creators, leaders, innovators, and teachers redefining the word clit. Because guess what? It's not a bad word. Pussy, pussy, it's gonna be a good one today. Yes. I'm talking about a clit talk, clit talk, clit talk. Talking about a clit talk, clit talk, clit talk. Come on, girls and boys and everyone on the gender rainbow. Bring your pussies to the show. This episode is brought to you by Let's Get Checked and For Your Wellness. Yo, 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 Clitorati. Did you know that today is International Non-Binary People's Day? We're celebrating this holiday for the first time on Clit Talk, and we're very excited to have Daphne Willis on with us, as well as a special, special guest. So what is International Non-Binary People's Day, you may ask? Well, let me tell you. It falls equidistant between International Women's Day and International Men's Day, and it also honors Kate Bornstein. Just in case you don't know who she is, in 1986, Bornstein identified as gender non-conforming and stated, I don't call myself a woman and I know I'm not a man after having been signed male at birth and receiving sex reassignment surgery. So get ready to learn, laugh, and find a new level of love for being human and freely expressed to be you. So we have a very special, special opportunity to collaborate with the Los Angeles LGBT Center. Since 1969, the center has been the champion and unstoppable force in the fight against bigotry and the struggle to build a better world where LGBT people thrive, healthy, equal, and complete members of society. Our guest today is a former Liberty Hill leader to watch and American Bar Association panelist who spent over a decade working with social justice nonprofits, and now the center is lucky to have her manage initiatives focused on improving the safety, well-being, and permanency of the LGBTQ plus youth in systems of care. She is a multiracial queer femme certified HIV testing and prevention counselor. And get this, she self-designed her college studies on inequality and oppression in Vermont. This woman is the definition of what it looks like to dedicate your life to a mission and make a profound difference on a global scale. I am honored to introduce Ariel Bustamante. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for well, having me. I'm so excited. At least you're an underachiever, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, God, like the longest ever. So yeah, and things. that's just my abbreviated bio. I'm oh my sure. <laughs> I think, uh, I don't know. I think it's pretty short. I think you need to add a few things there. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Well, thank you. We we are so honored to have you here today. And um, we have so many questions for you. The one right off the bat, which I'm sure a lot of people have, I know I have, is exactly how many gender identities are there? Like, is there a number? What are they called? What do they mean? Like, can you just walk us through the whole gamut? Yeah, that's a, a really good question to start off with because uh, it's definitely one of the more common questions that people ask us, especially when they are new to learning about um, sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression. And the answer is that there's not really an answer to that, um, which, you know, one thing I will sort of 
give a disclaimer to this conversation is that while I get to do this educational work and the center gets to do this education, excuse me, the center gets to do this educational work. Um, you know, we are not the end all be all authority on how we get to define these words and that sort of thing. So I want to give that caveat as well as the fact that, um, you know, I'm not a non-binary person myself. Um, and I'll talk a little bit more about that later, but just want to acknowledge that piece. So to your question of how many, you know, dozens, maybe more, um, every culture, every society has so many different words that they use to describe gender identity. Um, and I think more and more as folks feel safer and comfortable being out and talking about that, then we're able to create new words to affirm who people are. And just you, to confuse us further, there's no <laughs> definition. <laughs> so in answer to your question, no. Yes. Yes and no. Um, yes well, and you no. Just, so you just have to ask the person, right? If it sounds like it's an individual thing, which is a lot of what we talked about with Daphne last week, you just ask, the, you know, what they prefer is, to be called. It is. And, it's almost also, if you see it, you know, it is... It could be more confusing. It could also be less confusing when you don't have to necessarily yeah. be defined by something that's external from your own feelings. Then it also can be more liberating as well and less confusing. So, but isn't it rude to be like, "So, what are you?" You know what I mean? Like, like how do you how do you broach yes. that conversation? <laughs> like, like, what like is if, your if, gender if, identity? Right? <laughs> like, <it's> yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, we wouldn't typically do that, right? We wouldn't operate throughout the world unless we are, for example, a clinician or a nurse or something like that, where we might need to know that information for for some reason. Uh, But typically when we're interacting with folks throughout any given day, we're not going to ask them for um, potentially really personal uh, information about them. And regardless, right, if somebody does share that bit of information with us, we want to be able to reflect back that language that they use. So like you said, Katie, just going back to how folks self-identify. And if you're not sure what that means, you know, you can just say, thanks so much for sharing that with me. Can you tell me a little bit more about what that means to you? Mm -hmm. Because like I said, you know, one definition that we may have for non-binary may look very different from person to person, just like Mm -hmm. with any of these other words that we talk about. And just for our listeners, can we redefine what non-binary means? Just in yeah. Case, yeah. So non-binary is a gender identity term used to describe people who understand their gender identity to exist outside of the gender binary. Um, and so some folks who are non-binary consider themselves to be transgender um, and other people don't. It's That's not necessarily... Uh, true for all non-binary folks. And when I say the gender binary, I'm referring to this, particularly in the United States, this idea currently, right, that folks are either a man or a woman and there's not any sort of in-between or any other variation. So how do you feel society has defined um, feminine and masculine identities in general? Yeah, Um, you know... As I mentioned, this um, this acronym SOGI, you'll probably hear me say it a million times before we're done. It SOGI? Stands for SOGI, S-O-G-I-E. It stands for Sexual Orientation, Gender Identity, and Gender Expression. Um, I like to kind of ground people in that particular acronym rather than LGBTQ+, because we all have a SOGI, whether or not we're part of the LGBTQ plus community or not. Um, but we don't typically think about it in that way, right? So we only think about queer and trans folks having these elements of identity. And yet, if you were to sort of 
think about those words and how they apply to you, chances are you would also be able to say, oh yeah, I have these different elements. So all that to say that I think, you know, largely uh, we have as again, a society really looked at things being along a binary, no matter how you look at it, right? So we have this whole um, idea that if you're assigned female at birth, your gender identity is going to be a woman, you're going to be a feminine woman um, based on sort of whatever those societal expectations are of femininity at the time. Um, And then also that you're going to be attracted to men. And then there's sort of the inverse and that goes to the binary piece that either, you know, you're assigned male at birth, your gender identity is man, you have a masculine gender expression, and you're attracted to women. Um, and so back to your question as far as, you know, how do we look at sort of masculinity and femininity and that shaping identity? I think even today in 2020, um, where there's been a lot of great work done to kind of unpack all of that, folks still often have this... Um, fixed idea that folks will fall more towards a pole of the binary than again have that variation. Um, And I see that a lot when we're talking about um, folks who fall out of the gender binary specifically. So Mm -hmm. this idea that, you know, if you are a transgender person, um, you have to really be conforming in a binary way. You have to transition in a particular way and all of that, right? And that's not really real for a lot of folks, um, just like it isn't really real for a lot of us who are cisgender. Mm. And today is non-binary people's day. So it's not the, so it's the opposite of born identified female, grow up feminine and you're attracted to men. It's not that, it's non-binary. Yeah. So non-binary has to do with your gender identity, meaning who you see yourself to be when you think about yourself as far as these different terms of being a man, a woman, or something else, right? Um, And non-binary doesn't tell us anything about who somebody's attracted to. It doesn't tell us about what their sex assigned at birth is. It doesn't tell us anything about those things. It just tells us what that person's gender identity is. Um, Just like me telling you that I'm a woman, right? That doesn't tell you anything about what sex I was assigned at birth um, or who I'm attracted to or anything like that. Obviously, you got that information from my lengthy bio. But, but, you know... What you say? (laughs) Tell us. Yeah, but... but, (laughs) But for, right, we want to go back to how folks identify and, um, you know, not making assumptions about knowing other elements of somebody's identity because they've shared just one piece of that. It's just that, right? So somebody shares that they're gender fluid. That's one piece of information we know about them. We don't know anything else about them unless they've told us that information. Mm. So when I was um, younger growing up, uh, I've shared this on the show before. I've shared this on the show before. When my mom was giving birth to me in the delivery room, they didn't know the sex of the baby. And when I came out and they said, it's a girl, my mom's first, the first thing my mom did was look at my dad and say, I'm sorry. I guess he really wanted a son. And I don't know if it was a conscious choice, but my dad kind of treated me like a son, you know? Uh, he, He was my coach. He had me play like all the sports, not letting me choose freely. And I was really good at basketball. Actually, in seventh grade, I was getting recruited by uh, the varsity captain of the high school. And I love basketball. It was my bonding thing with my dad. I was like MVP of the co-ed league, like no fucks given, right? I was, I, I loved my, my life as an athlete growing up. And when I was in um, 
seventh grade, um, the really cool girls that my mom was friends with their moms, they came over for drinks with my mom and the girls and I were hanging out. They said, Madison, everyone thinks you're a lesbian because you play basketball. And I'm getting like really moved right now because I think I made a choice then, you know, like if I didn't make that, I, I actually quit basketball. And then I started hooking up with guys. I started doing a lot of sexual things at a young age. And uh, a year later, had I got slut-shamed on MySpace publicly by some of the cool girls that um, heard that I gave a blowjob to a, an eighth grader. And my reputation was slandered. Like I was slut-shamed going right into high school. My reputation with all the older kids was ruined. And then I didn't have basketball. I always played tennis growing up at four, but it wasn't with my dad. It was my own like kind of my own practice. So I lost that with my dad when my parents divorced at 11. Um, that was the one thing I had with him was him still being my coach. So needless to say, 13 to 18, I had a distorted relationship with my dad because we didn't have that central place. And I was just thinking when you were saying that, like I, for fear of being shamed or uh, ostracized from the cool kids, I didn't really express myself um, as what I would, maybe how I would have expressed myself, you know? And for, I am, um, I don't like to say bisexual because I'm, I'm really just attracted to people's energy. Um, I've had several relationships with women. I still do. I'm married in a non-monogamous relationship and um, I have my female lovers. And so I've come more into that, but there's something there around like that kid that I was that who the fuck knew who I would have been, how I would have expressed myself. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, I just want to name, first of all, thank you for sharing that and like being super raw and vulnerable because I think, you know, A, being able to model that for folks about what that can look like. And also the fact that, yeah, when we start to really unpack our own gender journeys, um, starting from a young age and even into adulthood, we can mm -hmm. see all the different ways that gender has been policed for us and in our spaces, right? And uh, and the ways that that can be so harmful and destructive to so many folks. Um, you know, I really resonated with that because when I I came out in middle school initially. Um, and then I really started to kind of lean into my identity by the time I was in high school. Um, and I remember coming out uh, and kind of having a variety of different words that at each different point that I was like, I think this is the word that feels, you know, best to describe me. And then learning a new word and being like, no, I think this is the word, right? And having that sort of evolution as I had more access to information and and you know, role models and things. But I went through this period of time um, in high school in particular where I really tried to suppress who I was because I had this idea of what it meant to be a queer woman. Um, and so that's why, you know, in my intro, I specifically, you know, want people to know that I'm a queer femme because that's something thanks to a lot of incredible other queer femmes that I've had the privilege of knowing. I've really been able to lean into that, you know, I can be who I am. I can be femme. I can really reclaim that identity as a woman and not feel like that invalidates who I'm attracted to or what labels I may use to describe and, myself. And even within the the LGBTQ community, there are a lot of... Um, I grew up in, in Chicago and between growing up in the suburbs where it was like really, you know, uh, stigmatized to be either, either have a non-binary 
gender identity or to have a non-heterosexual, you know, orientation identity. Um, with then moving into Chicago, which is one of the, you know, largest uh, queer scenes in the country. And it's amazing. And it's such a wonderful community. And I was really lucky to have that from when I was like 18 to 24. And, uh, but within that community, like you were saying, Ariel, are all these additional boxes that you're mm-hmm. supposed to fit into. And I had, um, you know, lesbian friends that were extremely feminine and I had lesbian <sighs> friends that were extremely masculine and there just wasn't a lot of information or, um, you know, acceptance around gender identity, which is very different than your sexual orientation. And uh, I, I found myself in the same boat trying to figure out where I fit in between the feminine lesbians and the masculine lesbians because I didn't really fit into either category. Like some days I wanted to wear a dress and like do my nails. And then some days I wanted to like, you know, wear whatever uh, men's clothing. And I just felt more like a man. And it was really interesting because I tr- found myself being really kind of almost criticized by that community in in certain ways um that that was really difficult when you're already trying you like find kind of find your tribe and then you're like oh wait ah i don't know how i fit into this now like totally yeah, yeah. i mean yeah, just naming that definitely within the queer and trans community, we have our own shit, you know, that we need to to work on too. And I think, um, hopefully, oh, I can yeah. say shit. Oh, yeah. Oh, you can say whatever you want. But yeah, I mean, that's not to say that, you know, we don't absolutely need folks who are actively practicing allyship and thinking about what that looks like. And, you know, there's so many isms that we have in our community. You know, we have fat phobia, we have a lot of racism, we have all these different things where we just don't acknowledge that, you know, to be queer, to be trans is to also be a person of color, is also to be, um, you know, non-monogamous or monogamous. It's also Mm -hmm. to be just all the variety of human experience that we know under this glorious queer and trans umbrella. Um, and I think sometimes we get lost in that. And I think that's also why we've seen some really great movements happening that are primarily youth-led as well, right? Where folks are really saying, enough is enough. You know, we're going to reclaim this and we're going to say, no, you can exist however you are unauthentically. Well, it's so interesting doing this show and we've done over a hundred episodes and it's all been about releasing shame and we all kind of fall on different spectrums, but we all have shame to release in whatever, you know, direction we've gone and with our sexual path, it's, it seems like. And when you look at it that way, there's really, whether you're, um, multiracial, like it, there's no separation between any of us. So if we can just be gentle and kind with each other and with ourselves, like it would just be such a better place. And the, that would yeah, be nice. And <laughs> Self-compassion is so critical. Yeah. yeah. So I have, so, I have two things that like the, I would say one thing that I've noticed about myself is the more I step into who I am, the less I appreciate labels. <laughs> like mm. I really just want to be able to be fluid and like have that be okay with people. Um, and I used to really try to like put myself into a box, you know, Oh, I'm, I'm bisexual. Oh, I'm, I'm heteroflexible. Like whatever. Like I'm like, I'm just 
fluid. <laughs> like, um, but I, I'm just thinking about for anyone out there listening to this right now who is considering that they may be fluid in in their gender identity, and they're trying to figure it out. Do you, do does anyone have any advice or how to really like figure out what your own personal truth is? Or anyone have any experience with that? I mean, I definitely do. I'm sure Ariel does as well. I think the best advice for me has always been to not take myself so seriously that I lose my curiosity because I think when you are, when I'm in a more anxious place or a more nervous place or I'm, you know, just being too concerned about, you know, myself being, uh, you know, and defining myself, that's when I kind of lose my curiosity because it's fear that will make us not Mm. look something up or not ask a question or not go look at things online or not, you know, hang out with the people that we're interested in hanging out with that we think that we may get some knowledge from. And I think that when you lose that curiosity is when you kind of put yourself in a really isolated place and it's really scary to be there. And, um, you know, there are communities online and, and in person and everywhere all over the place. If, even if you just go on Instagram, I would mm-hmm. also recommend um, definitely reading and getting the vocab because no matter what, like I've also been in recovery for four years. I've also you know, been through sexual trauma, sexually assaulted and raped and, you know, experienced PTSD and things like that. And I can tell you one thing, when you have words for things and you have vocabulary, it takes away the uh, the fear and the shame and the feeling like you don't exist. Because when there are actually defined words for things that describe how you feel, you automatically feel connected to the world and society. And you you are shown proof that other people have experienced the same thing that wow, you have experienced. Really good advice. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad that you said that, Daphne. Um, and, and again, like just <laughs> loving that you all are so just open to, to being open with your listeners about your experiences, because I think the more we are able to talk about our experiences, the more we're able to destigmatize those things, right? Um, and yeah, you know, I think there's a lot of folks, one of the most common sort of phrases that I hear when I'm working with folks who are new to this is, you know, either A, like, this is so overwhelming. There's so much vocab. There's so many words. I just don't know that I can do this. And or I oftentimes will hear people say things like, gosh, why are there so many labels and why do we need all these words? And um, I think, first of all, I think anytime you're having those types of reactions, it's a good step to take to take a step back and figure out like, why am I so, why am I having this feeling about this, right? Like, why do I feel so strongly about um somebody describing themselves in a particular way and how does that necessarily affect me? But the other thing, like you're saying, Daphne, is it it creates some level, I think, of validity to us, you know? And so, as I mentioned, like when I was learning different words and ideas about the queer community, um, it wasn't necessarily that I was saying like, oh, that word is incorrect. But just to say, oh, this is the word that it relates better to my experience. And it's helpful to know, like you said, that there's other people out there who have a similar, not necessarily identical, right? But similar experience with this. And so I think we can 
you know, just as a community, be more open to the fact that um, in many ways, words can be liberating to folks. Yeah, like I'd flip through and be like, no, that's not me. No, that's not me. Oh, that's really cool and interesting, but it's not me. And then eventually, like, and it is overwhelming because there's a lot of, but there's just how many fucking people are on this planet. <laughs> like, we're not all going to fit into like two fucking boxes. <laughs> oh, right. Guys. Yeah. Like, right. So I'd be like flipping through like, damn, there's a lot of fucking words here. This is awesome. And then finally, like land on something that is kind of like, oh, this could be my vibe. Like, this could be. This is similar. And then you go down a rabbit hole and then maybe you're like, nah, and then you go back. It's like a whole labyrinth. And I think it's that curiosity that I was saying is like, you would never go down those pathways in your brain and in your mind if you didn't, um, you know, have a flashlight, I guess, so to speak. So and that's kind of like the way you just kind of keep learning and opening your horizons by learning about yourself. You're also learning about what other people's experiences on this planet are like, too. Totally. I think that, as I say, the curiosity, the exposure, right? Like, um, we are in a time where people have, you know, increasingly more access Mm -hmm. to these things, like you're saying online, especially, and especially right now when folks are likely still, you know, sheltering Mm -hmm. at home and that sort of thing, right? So being able to access digital resources. And even when we're not, you know, dealing with a global pandemic, understanding that a lot of folks um, are still closeted. A lot of folks um, don't have that access. You know, I'm in Los Angeles. And so I'm, again, I work at the center. I have more than enough access um, to this information and to resources. But a lot of folks, even here in Los Angeles, don't have that same access. And so being able to find a community or even consider that there's a community out there, I think can be really powerful for any of your listeners who are on um, any sort of gender journey themselves. Hey there, Clitorati. It's Katie. So you all know I'm a nurse and Clit Talk for me is a health conversation. I really want to take a minute to share a product with you that has made a huge difference in my life. Foria Wellness Awakened CBD Lubricant. Remember that. I use it multiple times per week, and this is coming from the woman who never used to masturbate. Not only has it enhanced my new masturbation lifestyle, it's eased the pain I used to have during sex, and my husband is super happy because our bedroom play is so much more fun. So, I personally reached out to Foria Wellness to see if they would partner with Clit Talk, and they were an overwhelming yes. So now, you can get a discount on their fabulous products by going to our brand new pleasure store at clittalkshow.com. All their products are there. And if you're interested in trying them out for yourself, use the discount code CLITTALK10 for 10% off your purchase. I can't recommend them enough. So do yourself a favor and get your pussy high. Well, and and speaking of words, um, I know that pronouns are a really pivotal part of g- this gender conversation. And I, th- I know it can be confusing for me. I think it can be confusing mm-hmm. for a lot of people. Can you kind of go through maybe like a pronouns for dummies version of how, the, how it all works? <laughs> <laughs> totally. So I'm going to take you back to like third grade okay. grammar, something like that really quickly. And Sorry. pronouns are uh, the words that we use in the English language to refer to somebody when we aren't using their name. And a lot of other languages have pronouns and a lot of other languages don't have pronouns. So it's not something exclusive to the English language, but it is something that, again, um, certainly all of us doing this uh, have more exposure to. So 
there's this idea uh, oftentimes that I hear that pronouns and your gender identity automatically correlate. So because I know your gender identity, I know your pronouns. Or because I know your pronouns, I know your gender identity. And I definitely want to kind of dispel that because just like with these other elements of identity, um, that's not necessarily true. Um, So for example, my pronouns are she, her, and hers. And then in Spanish, ella, because I'm uh, Latinx and that's, I speak Spanish. And um, I basically have listed them out how you would conjugate them, meaning in different tenses and different parts of a statement, you know, she's running late, that's her bag, um, all those different ways, right? Um, and then some other common pronouns that we are, fam- you know, most people are familiar with are he, him, and his. So um, can you get that for him? He needs a cup of water, right? Um, and then they, them, and theirs um, is a really common set of gender neutral pronouns. And for any of you out there who are cringing at the thought of using they, them, and theirs for an individual, I have a couple of uh, words of advice. First of all, um, if you're really stuck on what the rules say or don't, which probably if you think about it, you're not, right? Like how accurate are we with our grammar 100% of the time? Um But all that to say that Webster's Dictionary and a bunch of other dictionaries have signed off on this. So they've given their stamp of approval that they, them, and theirs can be used as singular. But beyond that, it goes beyond grammar rules and dictionaries and and any of that stuff, right? It's about affirming people Mm -hmm. and who they are. And if we have to make a conscious decision to ourselves to say, huh, do I treat this person with respect? Or do I follow some arbitrary rules of grammar? I would really hope that folks are thinking about affirming somebody rather than sticking to some rules that, again, we probably don't follow. And the thing with they, them, and theirs, because a lot of people tell me that they're struggling with that in particular, is we use that much more often than we realize we do. So, you know, throughout any day, I would encourage folks to kind of think about like, when am I actually using pronouns? Um, If somebody leaves a voicemail, you might say like, hey, Daphne, Mm, can you give them a call back? Right. And I just used them for a singular. So it's only until somebody then asserts like, hey, these are my pronouns. Please use this when referring to me that suddenly, you know, folks may become, you know, sort of up in arms about, oh my gosh, the rules of grammar (laughs) say something else you know that actually just totally cleared up so much for me (laughs) mentally when you used it in a sentence like that like it totally because and I was listening really actively because I was I am one of those people that has had a a weird not that I like like I don't care what people call themselves I just didn't understand it like Mm -hmm. from a because I'm an English major, so I'm very hung up on grammatically correct. So you are you are wedded to I'm the grammar. I'm a writer. <laughs> I'm also a writer. I'm a professional songwriter by trade. So that's what I do is I work with words. So it was a difficult one for me to wrap my head around. And I really like to fucking understand things. When I'm, when I'm speaking to somebody who would ask me to do that, I really want to fucking know. And I really yeah. want to be behind it and support them and be like lose my fucking, you know, whatever my uh, preconceived notions of the way things are supposed to fucking be and sound and whatever. Like we're all, we're all brainwashed (laughs) from this fucking society. Let's be frank. I am anyways. So I just, you know, really appreciate using it in a sentence because yeah, it really can remove that when you 
I don't know, when you use things in an everyday speaking kind of way like that, it really just kind of clicked for me. So thank you. Totally. Yeah. You know, and the other thing I'll say sort of as a pronoun 101 is be prepared to fuck up, (laughs) you know, like um, if you if you haven't already learned that lesson, um, many of us uh, don't have to operate on a day to day basis where we get misgendered or Mm -hmm. where somebody calls us by the wrong pronouns. Um, Yeah. Well, and I love Ariel that you put in like be prepared to fuck up. So I had I had a family member come out to me as non-binary. And they were born male assigned gender at birth. So it took me, I had to retrain myself about how to talk about this family member who I'm not going to share their name. Um, And it took, there was some, but they were really patient with me. They didn't, it didn't matter to them. And, but I I did. And I sometimes found myself just using their name. I'm going to make up a name. This is not their name. I'd be like, well, Mike did this or Mike did that to kind of like transition into the pronouns because I had to retrain my brain because I'd known this person for, you know, 35 years. Um, and they were really patient with me. And I like that you put in like, be prepared to fuck up because this is new for a lot of people. And I think really what's important is your intention and that you're you're committed to being an ally and doing, you know, the right thing. Right, right. So, you know, again, um, one of the things I tell people, like if you don't know somebody's pronouns, using their name and or they, them um, can be a really good placeholder until you are able to get that information or have, you know, a conversation with them. Um, And then if and when you do mess up, um, holding yourself accountable and doing better the next time. Uh, One of the things that um, I would say is sort of like a worst practice Mm. is being overly apologetic. And we see this in lots of different other spaces, right? But like, if I say your pronouns wrong, instead of saying... Oh my gosh, Daphne, I'm such a horrible person. I watch Pose all the time. Like, I, I just went to Pride. I have like three gay best friends. I, I just feel, I feel so bad. Like my hamster is going to hate me. I mean, just, just don't do that, folks. Don't put the emotional labor on anyone else. Especially right? not a hamster. Especially not a hamster because they're so small and like, I don't, I don't, right. just want to get on their wheel and fucking run it off, you know? Yeah. Yeah. At least my, my fake hamster. I wish I had a hamster, but, um, right. Instead of doing that, we can just say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm going to do better next time. This is clip talk. So we talk about sex here and like interpersonal relationships, um, and partners. Is there anything that you wanted to touch on and how this all applies there? Totally. Um, You know, obviously this Mm -hmm. culture is completely like sex negative and (laughs) completely oversexualized. I'm sure that is no. Like there's, there's. I mean, yeah. Right, 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 right. Um, (laughs) So it's it's a really bizarre space to live in. And then again, add any other cultural context to that as far as, you know, the community that you yourself grew up in in or are part of now. Um, That can be a lot for folks to, again, have to like unpack and figure out, holy crap, what what does this mean for me? Especially if I'm somebody who is a part of the queer or trans community or thinks I I may be part of the queer and trans community. Um, And so again, I think a lot of those messages around shame and stigma and um, 
sex negativity and body shaming, all of that, like it's also very real in our community. Um, but a lot of times, again, we push that on to our intimate partners as well. So, you know, I'm sure plenty of people can attest to their experience on dating apps and things like that, the way that, mm. you know, being HIV positive is shamed. Um, again, being feminine uh, is shamed. All these different qualities are shamed. Um, and then when it comes to actually, you know, the behaviors that people have, um, they really take it upon themselves to continually police people's gender and their bodies. Uh, when a girl posts, uh, you know, a photo of herself in a bikini and she doesn't have like the picture perfect body we see in media, and people like are like, oh my God, why is she posting a picture of her? It's like, why are you getting so fucking offended? <laughs> Yeah, someone else's what? body. <laughs> like, like, right. The fuck? Like, keep scrolling. If it yeah, doesn't keep float scrolling, your boat, then bitch. just keep going. Baskin <laughs> Robbins, there's a flavor like, for everybody. Exactly. Everybody likes Right. It's different. not for you. I <laughs> <Right>. like you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then the other thing, though, on the other hand, that I would say that is really amazing is a lot of what we know about today and, like, I think where we're at in talking about sex positivity and body positivity, um, I would argue sort of started in the queer and trans community. I think because folks were constantly um, othered and cast out and seen as, you know, deviant, um, folks were also at the same time able to, again, to reclaim that and be like, you know what? As a community, we're not going to kink shame. As a community, we're going to um, talk about things like non-monogamy um, more openly right. because right. we're already on the margins. Yeah. Um, yeah. So fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, the, I will say, though, that being bisexual, I have friends who are, you know, and know people that are bisexual. And I think there are still um, identities, you know, like within every community, within any identity, there's multiple identities. And I think we just have to, you know, realize that it's all a spectrum. But I just I just know that there's a lot of people that shame bisexuality Why? within the Why within the queer community as well. Wait, biphobia. Oh yeah, biphobia is so oh, biphobia is so <laughs> real. That That's a whole other episode. <laughs> it is an entire it's an entire other episode. Well, yeah. oh, they say pick a side or you're oh, just a so slut or like so you don't uh, you figure your shit out. Like, oh, it's a whole fucking thing. Like and there's even this like idea that really only women or folks who are not men can be bi. Um, so there's this thing like, oh, being bi is really just like a gateway to being, oh. to coming out as fully gay. Right. Or, if you're a man and if you're yeah. a man, you're right. actually really oh, just gay one. and you can't be right, bisexual let's do a whole episode if you're on a this. man. Yeah, that's like, no way <laughs> yeah. you should be, you know. Um, <laughs> but it's it is super interesting because like for me when I came out and I keep coming back to me but I, I'm thinking about um, the ways that this has transformed myself and the work that I do um, you know my partner and I have also gone through a pretty extensive journey around our identities and um, he would totally be comfortable with me sharing this with uh, you all so that's I just want to name that that I have his consent to share that um, but I remember you know again coming out and going through again different words to describe myself. Um, and then him coming out as transgender. He's a trans man. Um, and he's been living authentically as a man for basically as long as I've known him. Um, but as a couple, you know, I was along 
the journey with him as he um, began to really be able to transition in a lot of different ways. Um, but when we got married, people were like, so you're straight now. Um, and I was like, no, I'm, I'm still queer. And he's also still queer because that's how he identifies. Um, and, and people's minds were blown. They were like, first of all, he's trans. But he's high. <laughs> what does that mean? I can't do the math. Uh, and then for me, they were like, oh, the math is clear. You're a huh. woman. You're with a man. Yeah. You're straight now. So, you know, again, like the, these, we're constantly having to do this work of having to um, make sure that we're seen in the way that we want to be seen. Um, and that with our partners, you know, I think as a community, folks are really also doing work to make sure that we affirm people's bodies and that we talk about their bodies the way they want them to be talked about. Um, and, and, you know, from a pleasure positive uh -huh. perspective, right? That we're also being mindful of that. Like, uh, how do yeah. we empower folks to to lean into that? Yeah. Also, like, when are we going to make like mean <laughs> and nice categories? Like, yep. can't we just all like, because we're all on that spectrum too, right? Like, at some point, can't we just say, wow, well, great. Like, you also are, you know, you you identify this way sexually. You identify this way from a gender standpoint. <laughs> You seem yes. like a really nice person to me. I'm also so fluid on the angel. That's really the only scale. fucking box I care about. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say the like, right? Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, the cut and sweetheart spectrum. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for coming on today. I I learned so much. I'm sure our listeners did too. Um, we just really wanted to go over some of the LGBT resource centers, and we're obviously going to link all of this um, in in our our show description so people can have it as a resource. So since since 1969, the Los Angeles LGBT Center has cared for, championed, and celebrated LGBT individuals and families in the Los Angeles and beyond. Today, the center's nearly 800 employees provide services for more LGBT people than any other organization in the world offering programs, services, and global advocacy to span four broad categories, health, social services, and housing, culture and education, leadership, and advocacy. And if you want to learn more about the LGBT Center, you can learn more at LG, or sorry, LALGBTCenter.org. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Clit Talk. Be sure to visit clittalkshow.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic bonus content. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram at clittalkshow for your clit fix in between episodes.